to Live Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Uh, I hesitate to say good morning. It, it really is not a good morning in America. Um, it's another morning in America where we're dealing with the results of a, an, two other uh, massacres um, in 13 hours. God. Um, I know um, <coughs> president, the president, God, is uh, going to speak uh, to this um, any second. I'm I'm loath to to take it, but I we might sort of get into it a little bit and then come back out. I I like many of you have a lot of difficulty listening to uh, him, especially in a situation like this. Read uh, some scripted uh, words, uh, and my understanding that he's going to call for background uh, check tightening, uh, but he wants to somehow tack that on to um, an immigration <laughs> reform measure means, of course, he's not serious wow. uh, about the background checks because to tether it to uh, such a contentious uh, area uh, would ensure that it wouldn't move. Odds are it won't move anyway. Um, I don't know I, whether or not I'll take it or not. We're we're ready to, uh, if and when. Uh, this is a very sick nation. We are a very sick nation. And we are led by a sick man. And our inability to even define the illness <laughs> is uh, problematic since it suggests that we're not going to beat this sickness if we can't even name it. The sickness, of course, is racism uh, and white nationalism, and it has been a, a constant in our history from our founding, and it is now being exacerbated by the sick man in the White House who sees it as a ticket to uh, election, and he was right about that, and re-election. And that remains to be seen, if he's right about that. This is a guy who has been relentless since his first day running for office in his 
in his announcement, has been relentless in using his celebrity and the constant attention of media to his every word to demonize Latinos, immigrants, brown people, black people, has used words like infestation, murderers, animals, thugs. He has said over and over that they are an, an invading our country. In a uh, rally in Florida, just, uh, I think, two months ago, he was doing his usual song and dance to an admiring crowd, and he said, how do you stop these people, the brown invaders? How do you stop these people, Trump said. And someone in the crowd yelled out, shoot them. The audience cheered. And Trump laughed. How do you stop these people, says the president. Shoot him, says a man in the audience who is cheered. And the president laughs and shrugs and says, oh, wow, only in the panhandle can you get away with that statement. Wink. And then, of course, on Saturday, some white nationalist who shares Trump's views and verbiage walked into a crowded Walmart and he went there drove what nine hours to get there because he he agreed with the guy in the audience that Trump laughed at the only way to get rid of him is to shoot him In every other instance where something like this happens, a president uh, denounces in no uncertain terms. He's talking. If, in fact, as the president talks now, he, in his scripted words, denounces the terrorism that occurred in El Paso, it will only be because he's been told to to ameliorate the damage of the connection to him. And I really don't know if I can stand to listen to it. I'm of two minds. Let's wait a little bit. Um, but he has never forcefully repudiated the white nationalism that he encourages. He has proudly said, I'm a nationalist. 
He's also white. I'm a nationalist, he has said. So rather than repudiate what is now the biggest terrorist threat in our country, domestic terror of white nationalists, the president winks and nods and smiles and encourages it by calling desperate asylum seekers, rapists, murderers, invaders, constantly sort of referring to them as, as, as insects, not quite human. This is from, of course, uh, the Nazi playbook. It's, well, it's any, any genocider's uh, playbook. You first dehumanize the people you want taken out. And then it's a lot easier to do that. And after these horrific shootings, uh, the president was, of course, at his one of his many golf courses. Uh, the White House is uh, very confining to him, so he goes off to one of his golf courses and golfs. And, and even after this horror, he dropped into the wedding of perfect strangers that was happening at his club, enriching him. And he took pictures and selfies when any other president, any other president, would be trying to comfort the nation, repudiate the hate behind the shootings, and he instead is just wanting to be the center of attention. Hi, it's the president. I'm crashing your party. Do you have Beto's thing that ever come? It says Rick Wilson on it. No, nothing. Huh. Beto O'Rourke went after the media yesterday saying, you know, you guys ask these questions that you know the answers to. Like, do you think the president's a racist? Uh, do you think the president's words in any way encourage these acts, he said, he did say, what the fuck? You know the answer. We all do. Here are the words of a professor who is an expert on authoritarianism. And she says that Trump's language and everything he says is a concerted attempt to construct and legitimize an ideology of hatred against non-white people. Uh, when you have a racist in power 
who incites violence through his speeches, his tweets, and you add in this volatile situation of essentially unregulated weapons of mass destruction, we're in uncharted territory. I don't know. Can we? Di- let's. I, I just hate to do it. Let's dip into where he is right now, and I'll just see how long I can stomach it. Of action. Nobody did anything. Why not? Second, we must stop the glorification of violence in our society. This includes the gruesome and grisly video games that are now commonplace. It is too easy today for troubled youth to surround themselves with a culture that celebrates violence. We must stop or substantially reduce this, and it has to begin immediately. Cultural change is hard, but each of us can choose to build a culture that celebrates the inherent worth and dignity of every human being. That's what we have to do. Third, we must reform our All right, I can't take it. We're out. I can't take it. These are all NRA talking points. Um, It's uh, video games. Oh, yeah, it's video games. Video games are all over the world. I don't think there's a country where more video games are played than Japan. Does Japan does Japan have this kind of mass murder thing going on because people are doing video games over there? Huh? I don't think so. Uh, name another country where video games have driven uh, people uh, insane to the point where they need to go out and, and massacre people. Huh? Was it just Americans that are affected by video games in this way? Strange. I mean, that's really strange. Uh, what was the other thing? Oh, yeah, mental health. Ah! Well, I'm for getting something done about mental health, and let's start with the idiot in the White House, who is a walking, talking example of someone who is mentally ill. There are actual classifications for his illness. mentally ill you can say that about anybody who does something that is incorrect well they were mentally ill mentally ill people are not generally violent they're no more violent maybe less so i don't know than perfectly uh supposedly healthy people these are all distractions it's bullshit and it's their way of avoiding (laughs) their complicity in doing the bidding of the gun manufacturers. They're feeding at their trough. Oh, the money. Oh, the money that goes to them. Uh Uh-uh. So he's hitting all the the usual tropes, and and um, yes, and to hear Trump speaking about we each of us 
must uplift the dignity of uh, the our fellow humans is is just it is enough to make you puke frankly who does he think he's kidding This is the guy. There's good people on both sides. This is the guy. Hang on. Some of his quotes. Actually, he was in El Paso uh, this year, a little earlier, and he he was screaming about deporting these criminal aliens and keeping them the hell out of our country. His campaign had an ad up on Facebook uh, in February that says, it's critical that we stop the invasion. And here again in March, told an audience of conservatives, they don't like it when I say it, but we're being invaded we're being invaded by criminals and we have to stop it. I saw an interview with a guy who had been a neo-Nazi and, my God, somehow saw the light. And so he sometimes brought on, there's a few of them out there, they're brought on to explain the mindset of these young white men because they had been one of them, and this guy says, this guy said, there is no doubt that uh, Trump is uh, responsible. No, he didn't pull the trigger, but he has legitimized this kind of violent hate and winked and nodded at it. Uh, shared the vocabulary of the killers. And these people, this hate, this bigotry and ugliness has always been, as I said, I think earlier, a part of us. But when we are led by better people, there is a constant shaming of people who hold those views, a shaming, a repudiation of, and that comes from up on high, from the leadership. And so that has shut these people up. Trump comes in sharing their language, sharing their views, stoking their feelings, that they are somehow under attack. And doing the exact opposite of what every other president in my lifetime has done in situations as volatile as we are in today. I don't need a former neo-Nazi telling me Trump is responsible because he sees, we see it. Geez, why now is there an uptick? Why now are we seeing this kind of incredible terror? 
Hmm. Can't just be coincidental, now can it? We have a call. Caller, go ahead, please. Hi, Lynn. Hey. Hey, um, <clears throat> Trump, a while back, he, you see the speech he made about the NRA and their great patriots. These are great patriot people. They they don't know what even patriotism is. They, they are support. The only thing they care about is money and selling guns. That's all they care about. And their members, they, they love to buy these assault weapons and... <clears throat> There's no reason for them to have those weapons at all. We all know that the same story goes over and over. I mean, you could have them at a gun range, and they could use them there or something. There's other ways you could do that. You don't have to own one. But it's it just they, they're not going to give that up. <clears throat> Why they need those type of guns, and you, the, the gun, one guy, he said they had him down in 30 seconds. So 30 seconds, he knocks out, I don't know, was that nine people that I time? think nine people, I mean, but injured. Fast. Injured, what, another 20 or something? Yeah, and so those lives are shows being... you what it is. Yeah. It's the guns they're using. They're just, if they had come in with a pistol or a shotgun or rifle, they wouldn't have got that much damage. It's a lot of collateral damage real quick. And that's the problem. Before these shootings, were, we were getting them, but there was not as many people. Now when you get more people, for some reason, the, the media loves <laughs> to have that. And I won't watch them bastards. I can't stand them. I'm sick of it. goes coming on it as former uh, FBI guys. I don't want to hear your bullshit. Just solve the problem. I'm sick of that. Make it, it's just all entertainment. It's like, that, I'm not watching that. It's terrible. The people died. Okay, once I hear that, it's fine. I'm not going to listen to your bullshit because that's all it is on there. Nobody does anything. It's all bullshit. I know. Anything that happens but, like that, you don't even want to listen to it anymore because it's the same old shit like Groundhog Day or something. I'm God. Well, you're okay. right. You're right. Thank you. I mean, right. Okay, thank you. Okay. Bye. I mean, how... It is. It's like Groundhog Day. There's actually a word for what Trump does, and this is um, a piece from a former assistant secretary at the Department of Homeland Security, and she's now an expert in Homeland Security at the Harvard uh, Kennedy School of Government. And her her name is Juliet Kayum, and her point, first of all, is this this thing calling these 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 young white murderers uh, lone wolves is bullshit too. They are not lone. They belong to a global community, which they clearly acknowledge whenever they bother with a manifesto. They nod to the guy in New Zealand, the nod to the guy in the Netherlands, a nod to the guy in Pittsburgh, a nod to... These guys are not alone. They have this very real virtual community. So this, in that regard, it is a global community. Um, and there's a kinship in which they, you know, they, they feed off each other. And one of the things that 
they get creeped out, worried about, enough to kill people, is that they will, in fact, become a minority. That somehow all these brown and black people that are coming into their countries are going to make them a minority. This is the, the killer here in Pittsburgh, seeing a white genocide that was, is being financed by the Jews. That's why he hit the synagogue, okay? These, these are the views of these, all of them acknowledge the same creed. And the president feeds into it. Um, so she says it is too simplistic to blame Trump for the rise of white supremacist violence but that doesn't mean that he isn't a contributing factor and this is where she says what I was saying but better she says historically racist ideologies don't die Nazism survived World War II. They just get publicly shamed. Communities evolved to isolate once acceptable racism, as in Germany, but they can also devolve back to hate. And you're seeing that in Germany. You're seeing it all over Europe. We're seeing it here. And this is where Trump comes in his failure to shame. His rhetoric curries favor with these people, winks and nods at them. Both sides talk. And he does not specifically condemn violence until he's forced out into the public eye to read something scripted for him that counters everything he has said prior. And she says, public speech that may have the effect of inciting violence, even if it doesn't have that specific intent, has a name, and it's called stochastic terrorism. Stochastic, and that, I'm not sure what the, where that word would come from, stochastic terrorism. And that is a pattern that can't be predicted precisely, but can be analyzed statistically. It is, so stochastic terrorism is, for instance, the demonization of a group through mass media and other propaganda that then will result in a violent act because the people hearing this propaganda and, and speech interpret it as, uh, as promoting their taking action. And the language that the president uses is vague enough that it leaves room for plausible deniability and the outrage of how could you possibly say th how could you possibly say the president is behind this but she says here's what we know trump fails 
to shame white supremacy, even if sometimes, and maybe today, he's been given words to do that. She says a responsible president and one who would be appalled that his language might have been misconstrued and could have been a contributing factor to the greatest terror threat in the United States today. Surely a responsible president like that would change his rhetoric. Anyone want to bet? His whole re-election campaign is predicated on continuing this rhetoric. And when he said, now like two years ago, after Charlottesville, that there are some very fine people on both sides, these white guys, these mostly young white men, in this community of online hate, see that as a presidential go for it. Don't have to hide under pointy white hoods. You go for it. Because this pack that they form, the lone wolves, they feel no shame. Because the president feels no shame. All right, so we know that domestic terror perpetrated by white nationalists armed to the teeth is the number one terror problem in this country now. It has nothing to do with ISIS, nothing to do with 9-11, nothing to do with Muslims. It has everything to do with our own. And the FBI, all of its resources, and our other intelligence, all of their resources are focused on the Muslim threat. How many Americans in the last few years have been killed by Muslims in America? How many? Any? How many Americans have been killed by white nationals? Killed because they were Jews here. Killed because they were Hispanics in El Paso. Killed because they were black. How many were done by Muslims? Muslims. 
And do you know what I learned yesterday from uh, reading about all of this? There is no law. There's no federal law for domestic terror like this. There is no domestic terrorism law. Honest. And that's something that has to change immediately. Is he still talking? No. And when I mention that these people have this community that they are able to have as a result of the Internet, we know that there are certain platforms where they get together, their clubhouse, their global clubhouse, the major one being 8chan, which this guy in El Paso apparently put his, was on all the time and put his manifesto out on, also the New Zealand uh, mosques shooter. And... This um, 8chan is run by a former U.S. Army veteran. He runs it out of the Philippines. I don't know why. And he will not take it down. Now, interestingly, perhaps, the guy who first created 8chan, a guy named Frederick Brennan, who for some reason is an American who also lives in the Philippines, is now saying, pleading to shut it down. Here's a quote from the guy who created 8chan. I've tried to understand so many times why he, the current owner of it, keeps it going, and I just don't get it. After Christchurch, after the Tree of Life, and now after this, I just don't get it. But this is the clubhouse where these lone wolves get together and help to share ideas and tactics and radicalize each other and amplify their hatred. Shut the site down, says the guy who created it. Okay, Milton listened, I guess, to the president. Aside from the diversionary content of that weak address, just before ending his vapid screed, Trump said we mourn with the victims and the families of the Toledo tragedy. Are you kidding? He said Toledo?
Well, maybe he knows something we don't know. If I were in Toledo, I'd stay home. Jesus. Okay, uh, Milton also found another definition of stochastic terrorist. And Trump is a stochastic terrorist because here it is. Stochastic terrorism is the use of mass communication, which he certainly has access to, the use of mass communications to incite lone wolves to carry out unpredictable violent acts. The stochastic terrorist is certain that his inflammatory rhetoric will stir up violence. He just does not know exactly what will happen or who will do it or where or when. So Donald Trump is a stochastic terrorist. But he has plausible deniability. At least for those who want to aid and abet him and refuse to see that he the President of the United States, is now a stochastic terrorist actually targeting other American citizens. Which brings us to the greatest threat to America today, Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Laura writes, uh, NPR had a story this morning that the 8chan is down. Uh, the cloud uh, service revoked the security, and so the site is now down. Um, it, yeah, I saw that. It's, ca it's called cloud, but you know what? That ain't going to take it down. Uh, Cloudflare. Uh, one of the providers who put this out, Cloudflare, uh, on Sunday, the head of Cloudfare said that he had spent hours since the El Paso shooting deliberating what to do. He said that disabling the site's Cloudflare protections could jeopardize law enforcement investigations by removing a source of data about who, in fact, is on the site. So he was equivocating in this uh, remark. If we kicked 8chan off our network, the crowds would cheer, but we'd suddenly not be in the middle, but law enforcement would have less visibility into what's going on. I don't know what we're going to do. Okay, well, he decided to pull. Um, another company called Tuco's, which controls 8chan's domain name registration, had no plans as of Sunday evening to disable the site's web address. So, and, and the thing is, is I think the way it works now is, I mean, it's pretty hard to completely drive um, these people. They'll always find some other way to congregate. might make it harder for them, but um, yeah.
Somebody wrote another speech for him that he didn't give. Here's what he could have said. I'm sorry for my role in stoking racial divisions. I'm sorry for re-entering the political arena on a fraudulent racist platform. I'm sorry for launching my presidential campaign on the backs of Mexican immigrants. I'm sorry I made the head of an anti-immigrant hate site my campaign's chief strategist. I'm sorry for leading rage-filled rallies that stir up animus against my political foes and people of color. I'm sorry to all the minority students who've been told on the playground that I will deport them. I'm sorry I spent a week winking and nodding at the white nationalists after they killed an innocent woman in Charlottesville. I'm sorry, and on and on and on, I'm on and on. Yeah, well, don't hold your breath. Wow, my computer's about to go down. I forgot to juice it up. Let me uh, just leave this for a minute to note the passing of a just great uh, documentarian, uh, D.A. Pennebaker, Pennebaker, I think is how it's pronounced, Pennebaker. Um, his, the first film I saw that he had done was the 1965-66 film of uh, Bob Dylan's uh, tour to uh, in England and it was called uh, Don't Look Back and I mean to this day it is uh, considered one of the best documentaries ever made and changed the way documentaries were made using real sound not a narrator uh, using um, you know cameras that are unobtrusive so that people are behaving as they really do instead of playing to the camera. Uh, boy, he uh, I guess they gave him a lifetime achievement award at uh, the Oscars about eight years ago and and it was said that he essentially invented uh, the modern documentary. <clears throat> If you saw Jimi Hendrix lighting his guitar on fire, that's in a Pennebaker uh, doc called uh, Monterey Pop, another great one. He followed Bill Clinton on his uh, first presidential run and found that Clinton was too aware of the cameras for what Pennebaker liked doing, so he pretty much focused on uh, the people around him. And that's where we all got to know James Carville, <laughs> and uh, and certainly a more colorful character than Clinton, uh, James Carville and uh, uh, George Stephanopoulos, and uh, that doc was called the War Room. Uh, so he did he did one for David Bowie called uh, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Um, and he was just something else. If uh, D.A. Pennebaker, dead at 94 years of age, and I did want to want to note that.
If anyone wants to email me, do it now because this thing's about to crash and burn, I think. My, I'm not going to be able to get it. Uh, oh, and I did have, you know, I'm always looking for nice things. And I found one. And it's in a, a little column that the New York Times does. It's, it's just a compilation of things that readers send in of something that happened to them, an experience they had in New York City. And here is one from a woman. You have to start it with Dear Diary. It's, I think it's called Metropolitan Diary. Right, so they take these little snippets from people. Dear Diary, Yona Lucan writes, I saw him about halfway across the pedestrian pathway on the Williamsburg Bridge. He seemed to be loitering as I approached. It was late and there was no one around except him and me. I knew I was about to be mugged. Stealing myself, I gripped my keys between my fingers and prepared to fight back. You've got to see this, he called out to me as I got closer. It's beautiful. He was gesturing toward Manhattan. <laughs> he was right, it was gorgeous. Clouds seemed to ring the skyline and the buildings were aglow in the moonlight. It's beautiful, he said again. I put my keys back in my pocket. I love that. I love that. Now, if it was in, uh, if New York had open carry and that, uh, what is that, what's that called, where you can just shoot if you feel threatened? I mean, she could have blown that guy away. She could have blown that guy away. She was understandably fearful for her life. And who was to say otherwise? He wouldn't be around to say, I was just pointing out the skyline. She could have shot him dead. America. We are a sick nation. In every way. We are the most anxious nation. We are the one of the least happy nations. And yet we still crow about what American exceptionalism yeah American exceptionalism <clears throat> we're very 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 sick led by a sick man aided and abetted by a sick political party I did see um, oh and I want to say this 
in connecting dots, another another connector is Fox News. Fox News programming regularly engages in racist dog whistling, blaming of immigrants, suggest using all the verbiage the president uh, gives them and more. Laura Ingram, what's his name? I want to say Hannity, but the other guy, Tucker Carlson. These are uh, fellow travelers in uh, propagandizing this speech. They are also stochastic terrorists. Fox News, by virtue of its lineup and programming, uses stochastic terrorism as a programming model. They're not going to change. Donald Trump is not going to change. The only thing that's going to change anything is us, right? We know that. So it's for us to act. Here's some things about the U.S. And, you know, I'm saying that we can we look clearly at ourselves? I have a caller. Has he been hanging there? Oh, it just came in. Okay. Uh, caller, go ahead, please. Hello? Hey, Lynn. It's Mike in D.C. Hi. Everything you're saying about America um, is exactly what Marianne Williamson says. But when she says it, we call her a kook. Mm-hmm. Well, because some of so, her, yeah, okay, yeah. But she says we're sick, right? Right. She says we're a sick society. Well, we are. And um, she wrote a great book called A Return to Love. Um, and everything you're saying is what she proposes, or she agrees with you. But <laughs> when she says it on the stage... People call her a kook, and I'm not sure why. I mean, I'm not voting for her. Get, get, make no mistake, I'm not voting for her. But she's still called a kook. How come? Well, just because I think she comes to the debate stage from such an unusual, uh, you know, she ain't a politician, and some of her remarks seem, you know, new agey to the point of weirdness. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, what she... A lot of what she says is absolutely true, but we laugh at it because she, her number one thing is not policy or what she calls wonkiness. It's about treating the, I don't know, treating the, what, the culture? And you can't treat this culture because it's a capitalist culture unless you take capitalism down. That ain't going to happen. Well like, well, like Elizabeth Warden said, if that's our belief, why are we Democrats? If we really think nothing can change, so we have to stay the same and just be Republican lights, then why be Democrats? I'm just playing a devil's advocate, by the way. Okay. No, I, I, I mean, I really do think there, we're heading to a point where 
there's I, I there's going to be there could be uh, violence, true political violence in this country from both sides. Do you think? I don't know. I'm trying not to think about it, honestly. I mean, like most of my friends, I and you, I hunt and peck in the news for things that I can read that won't raise my blood pressure. Okay, but, I mean, the only way we get at the real sickness is revolution. <coughs> That's not going to happen, is it? But that is why the gun rights advocates, if I can be kind to them, that's why they think they need assault weapons is because the government is going to come in and take something of theirs sometime, which to me is absurd because anybody who thinks that the government doesn't have a bigger weapon than you have or more weapons than you have is absurd. Right. You know, look at the poor people in Hong Kong. Yeah. Government's always going to have more weapons. What they don't have is people in the streets and the ability to change policy. Um, I don't know. You're, everything you're saying is. I mean, I'm we totally could have. You, 100%. you know, look at the Puerto Ricans, what they did. If we had millions of Americans in the streets, or what Hong Kong is doing, uh, where, what would end up happening? What would happen? Moscow Mitch would call out the military. And say it was just a bunch of hippies, free hippies. Look at look at the march on Washington after the the day after the election, the whole woman march. Reported a hundred thousand people on the streets, or you know four hundred thousand. And I people I have known people who said there were at least they saw it and personally saw that many themselves. So it would just be discounted. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't know. I'm I'm frightened. I mean, I am frightened. I don't see. I've been frightened before in my life. I was frightened um, in 1968. Uh, I felt like and the country... And this is worse or better? This is worse. Because? Because of Trump. Because he feels there's no way out of this. Well, and because of of how he, I, I I don't know because he's not a real president. We don't have a functioning government right now. We did in '68, and the government held kinda. You know, it it it, it got us Richard Nixon, but then it got rid of Richard Nixon. Took a long time. But the government was still sort of functional. And the media had not been ripped apart into this. Uh, we didn't have Fox News. We didn't have all these cable outlets that gravitate to the loudest voices and keep them on 24-7. You know, people with ideas and and more maybe moderating thoughts are can't be heard cannot be heard in this cacophony so i don't know what happens i really don't know 
but it, in fact, I am by nature a, a pessimist. So I, I hope. <laughs> oh, I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Oh God. All right. Thank okay. you, Mike. Oh, one more thing about uh, about this just crossed my mind as you were going to talking about the uh, obituaries. Does anybody else look at the age and say, "Oh, 94, I'll be okay with that," or 68? Oh, I don't know. That's kind of young. Does anyone else do that when they look at that age, or am I just too self-absorbed? No, that's of course what you do. Okay. I, no, there's no doubt about it. And when you get to my age. An awful lot of the people are younger than I am, and that is very yes um sobering <laughs> sobering hey. you know, and you start saying, "Oh, he was only seventy eight that's so young <laughs> that's the way I think, oh, who knows all right. Here's a a tweet during Trump's speech. Trump definitely has the vibe of someone reading a hostage statement. (laughs) In other words, reading words that he doesn't even comprehend, that he certainly didn't write or does not agree with. What do you think about everybody blocking him on their Twitter account as I, a form of protest? I think that's a great idea. I, I dropped him some time ago. Yeah, it's a good idea. And he blames Facebook, uh, I mean Twitter, for it because he has seen his numbers go down. And he doesn't like it. Yeah. I wonder if Facebook's the same way because, you know, ever since the Russians took it over, I'm not, I wouldn't go on Facebook now unless it was a national emergency. They needed to let everybody know I was okay. Yeah. Um, I refuse to go on there. Yeah. I don't have a Twitter account, and I know I'm old, but I won't because, you know, it's hard enough dodging hate at every turn. I don't need my phone going off reminding me how hateful the world is. I hear you. You're engaging in self-care, which is very important these days. <laughs> Thank you. You sound like Marianne. I know, I know. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. All right, guys, that's it. Jesus H. Um, I'll be back tomorrow with uh, my sister Susan, I believe. And, uh, geez, let's just hope there's not another mass murder to uh, distract us. Hmm? I wouldn't put any bets on it. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.